1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world. All of Shakespeare's plays that are comedies end with marriage. A man marrying a woman. Because when Shakespeare wrote his plays, he wrote tragedies where hero dies. There's death, that's the great tragedy of life. And there's love, that's the great joy of life. And marriage pictures that. That's why every one of his plays either ends in death or life. Death or love. Marriage or a funeral. He's just echoing what we all know in our hearts. That's why he's a great poet, because he picked the great themes that God has put in the world and displays them for us. John has the great themes because he's a great writer, because he is filled with the Holy Spirit, because he's writing under inspiration. And the theme he picks here is love. It's one of three themes that he returns to the whole way through this book. This short little book of one John. Love. Your loves determine whether or not you are a Christian. Your love determines whether you deserve to think of yourself as a Christian. What do you love? What is the first great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here John tells us to love. We're not surprised because we already saw it. Back in verses 9 and 10 and 11 where he says, Love your brother. Love other Christians. Now he's going to tell us what not to love. What a great teacher. He gives us the positive. He gives us the negative. Don't do this and do do this. What should we do? Love our brothers. What should we not do? Here it is. Here's our test. Test number six. Because you haven't forgotten, right? This entire book is a series of tests. He's testing us. And if you're putting dots by every test in your Bible, you'll have a dot by verse 6, a dot by verse 8, a dot by verse 9 in chapter 1. Then when you go to chapter 2, you've got a dot by verse 3. Again, chapter 2, verse 9. And here's one in chapter 2 and verse 15. The test is very simple. Do you love the world? That's the test. Are you in love with the world? And then John is going to give us two reasons. Whenever you hear a good sermon, you should be learning how to read your Bible. You're going to get two lessons today. The theological lesson and also the practical lesson of how to read your Bible. 
First is the command, and second are the reasons. And let's just read right through it now and, and see those commands. Verse 15, do not love the world. There's the command. Nor the things in the world. That's the command. Here's part of the reason. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's a reason. There's another reason in verse 17. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What's the first word in verse 16? Dorothy, what's the first word of verse 16? In verse 16, the first word. I checked every translation I could find. It was all the same. No. For. Most people should have the word for. It's the word because. That means what's going to come is reasons. He gives the command in verse 15, because. And then let's just, let's open up some reasons. What are these reasons that we should be obeying this command? Well, then he's going to give us these reasons. So today I want to give you the command and the reasons. We're in 1 John 2.15. The command and then the reasons. What is the command? Do not love the world. Well, there's three ideas in this command. We have the idea of you. Love. World. Number one, it's you. Now, in your Bibles, you don't see the word you. It's there in Greek, though. It's in the original language. It's in part of the verb. And he's saying, you people stop loving the world. We know this if we speak uh, an African language. Irwai. He means you, irwa. Right? Fambani. He means you, famba. Chimbirani, you chimbira. Every time we give a command, the subject is understood as you. Who are these people? They're Christians. He's warning them because it's possible for Christians to do this thing. They can fall back. And at every step along the way, Christians must be diligent. They must be concerned. They must be looking over their shoulder. They must be watching. The Apostle Paul says, walk Listen to this English word, circumspectly. Circum is the word circle. Spect is the word for eye. You watch looking all around. I'm sorry, you walk looking all around. That's what Paul wants you to walk like. John says walk in the light. Paul says walk circumspectly, looking at all corners. Why? Because there's a danger you might start loving the world. Maybe you don't love the world today, but you're going to love it tomorrow if you don't watch. Or maybe you do love the world just a little bit. It's rare that something is destroyed immediately. The best things are usually destroyed piece at a time. Back here in the back, I have a storage area where I had books from our college, boxes of books. 
I went out there this week and saw that termites had been getting into them. And I found about five books that were eaten by termites. And I saved the rest of them. Those termites are going to come slowly, piece at a time. That's what's going to happen with us loving the world. Christians can be affected by this slowly over time. Christian, ask yourself today, has there ever been a time when I was more disconnected from the world than today? Because what happens to us is just like the tide coming in, slowly the world creeps back into our lives. Just like termites get into your house. Well, I cleaned them out last year. They come back all the time. Just like hair slowly growing, so temptation constantly comes. Well, the first word is you. The second word is love. What is love? Well, love is an affection. Love is an affection. It's a movement of our heart. The old Greeks had two words, passions and affections. Passions come from your stomach. They're the animal desires, like sleep and eat. And then there's affections. They come from our chest, which is why Hebrews says, out of the heart are all the issues of life. Keep your heart, because out of your heart come all the issues of life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But Paul warns us what? In Philippians 3, he says, you watch out for those people. Their God is their belly. Our heart is our affections, the higher feelings, the feelings that are cultivated and crafted. Now, we can't command our affections, can we? Try to command yourself. I will feel happy. I will feel sadness. You can't command yourself because your affections aren't under your direct control. Or are they? Why does John tell us here, I'm commanding you, don't love this. Here's a young girl. She wants to marry a guy. The mom knows this guy's going to be no good. He's going to mess up your life. And the girl says, but I love him. I can't just turn on and off my love. And John says, oh, really? Don't love the world. Well, but I can't just turn this on. How can I just, I can't do this. John says, do it. It's an affection. There are wrong ways to feel. How many times have we said, well, that's just the way I feel about it. Well, maybe you're feeling wrong. Maybe you have a sinful feeling. Well, I just feel this way. Examine your feelings to make sure they're the biblical kinds. Because there's at least one kind of love that's a bad love. It's love for the world. That's a bad love. And if you've got, well, I just feel this way. Change it. Repent. In the Bible, love is often defined as an action verb. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us what love is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have no love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He goes on for all those verses to say, if I don't have love, I've got nothing. And then for four verses right in the middle, he lists action verbs. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
And he goes on through those lists. If you love, you will think the best of others. If you love, you will not be selfish. If you love, you will not be proud. Action verb, action verb, action verb. Love is an affection, but it is also an action. Jesus loved when he gave his life on the cross. That was an action. Did Jesus feel with all his feelings like going to the cross? He sweat great drops of blood. He said to his father, let this cup pass from me. Love is an affection, but it's more than that. It's also obedience. Listen to this verse. Jesus said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Do you love God? Then you will be obeying his commandments. Here's a man and a woman. They're living together and they're not married. And the man says, I love God. Jesus says, the one who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. It's obedience that marks our love. The most obedient Christians are the ones who love God truly. You want to say that you love God, right? Then obey Him. Obey. That's the mark of love. The man who merely sings worship songs is not necessarily loving God. How many times have we met people who go to church, lead the worship, they sing on the worship team. My friend calls them scrunchy-faced worshipers. That's not a sin. It's fine. But that's not enough to know if you love. Just like a young man who says to a girl, I love you. Oh, that's nice as far as it goes, but that's worth about five rand. You show me through your actions that you love. Not just singing, but obedience. That's what John calls for. Love is also setting the heart on a thing. It's the affections moving toward. This is the great test of Christianity. What do you love? Do you love the world? Well, that's the third item. I said there's three words here in the command. Look at the command, right in verse 15. What are our three words? The first word is the word you. We don't see it here in English, but we know it's there. You love not the world. And then the second word is the word love. What's our third word in the command? World. Now here's a tricky word. What is the world? Can I ask you that? Because God loved the world. But here it says, do not love the? Which one is it? Do I love the world or do I not love the world? In 1 John chapter 4, it says God loves the world. In 1 John chapter 2, it says don't ever love the world. So we immediately know what? The word world has how many meanings? At least two, maybe more. The world can mean the earth, this thing we're standing on, shooting through space. The word world can mean all the people 
The word world can mean all the system of sinful desires and things created by those sinful desires. The word world can mean everything made by fallen human nature. Is God telling us that we should not love the earth? No. Is God telling us that we should not love people? Of course not. That's why he says in chapter 4, God loved the world. When he says the world there, he means the people. When he says the world here, he means the system of things that are made by our sinful desires. Friends, worldliness is a terrible sin. To love the things that are made by the fallen desires of people is a terrible sin. God says don't ever do it. When he says do not love the world, he means this system that's put together. If you love the things made by sin, then you are loving sin itself. If you love the things that are made by sinful desires, then you're giving your heart to those sins. And so John tries to cut us off. You see, sin wants to trick us and tell us, you're a pretty good person if you don't kill someone. But sin tries to trick us by getting us to love the product of sin. If we love what is manufactured by the criminal, we're loving the criminal itself. John cuts right to the root of it because he says, look in verse 15. What is the world? He's going to clarify in verse 15. How does he clarify it? Do not love the world, neither what? The things. Do you see it? That's where I get that from. Sin creates certain things and we are not to love those things. Don't love them. Don't ever do it. Don't ever set your heart on the things that the world has created. Now here's what's tricky. We still live on the earth and we have to come in contact every single day with things that the world has made. But we must never love them. That's the difference. We must never love them. We must move our hearts away. Well, he's going to explain again. What do you mean by these things in the world? Look at verse 16. He's going to explain again. For everything that is in the world, all that is in the world, and then come three descriptions. Lust, lust, pride. Does your Bible say desire in verse 16? Lust, sinful desire. That word lust or desire, depending on your translation, is written three times. Two times in verse 16 and once in verse 17. Do you see that? It's the desires of the world. What is it that makes up the thing we're to run away from? It's those desires. That's what Christianity deals with. 
Boys, if you would be Christians, you must get new desires. There are these lusts or these desires that are connected to the world. But if you want to go to heaven, you've got to have desires that are not connected to the world. Desires connected to the world mean you're not a Christian. Desires connected to God mean you are a Christian. The problem is these lusts, these desires. Let me give you some lusts of the flesh. Laziness. Fornication. Greed. Drunkenness. How much of our world is dedicated to those things? Laziness. Fornication. Greed. Drunkenness. How much money of South Africa's gross national product is given to those four things? Laziness, fornication, greed, or drunkenness. A huge amount. Now I could obviously talk about alcohol. I could easily talk about pornography and sinful desires. What about laziness? In the 21st century, we have something that no one else has had. We have expendable income for the majority of the people. What is expendable income? It's money that you don't need just to stay alive. How many of you bought a shirt because, have ever purchased a shirt because it looked nice? That means you have expendable income. Now, it's not wrong to have that. It's not a sin to buy beautiful blue paint. It's not a sin to have a well-bound book. It's not a sin. But when you have expendable income, what's going to happen in the world They're going to create an entire industry called entertainment. The majority of the entertainment industry is all built around making you not serve the Lord. It's trying to get me to think differently than the words of our Lord. Listen to Jesus' words. Here's what he said in John 9 verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can work. That's what Jesus said. I've got to work right now. There's a night coming and no one can work when that night comes. Let me ask you. Does the entertainment in your life help you to work because the night is coming? Or does the entertainment in your life discourage you from working? There's a good kind of entertainment when when it helps us to recharge our batteries. We need a day off. We need a holiday. We need to be able to relax. We need to rest so we can serve God again. <clears throat> some people, some men can, you could ride a horse so hard and so long with so few breaks, the horse will die. We don't want to drive people so they die. 
It was God's idea to put six days you will work and on the seventh day you rest. That's God's idea, not man's idea. God knows we need to rest and recharge. But sometimes we we do everything we can to give five days to rest and two days to work. So let me ask you, are we loving the world? Because the world creates industries that will pull me away from God. I just gave one example of the entertainment industry. We could talk about more. Because the entertainment industry also oftentimes will put pictures up that will encourage us toward fornication. The entertainment industry will put desires in our mind so that we will get drunk. And many other things. The world is building up all these things. It's crafting these things so that you will sin. The lust of the flesh. What about the lust of the eyes in verse 16? Do you see that phrase, the lust of the eyes? That means you're looking at your neighbor and you're wanting it. Envy and covetousness and pride. How many of us go to work quietly, but secretly, whenever we walk outside our gate, we see the neighbor's house and it's beautiful. And we think, I work harder than him. Why am I living like this? He's living like that and I work harder. I've got a better job and I do these things, but he gets more than me. How many of us think that way? That's the lust of the eyes. How many of us, when we go to the shops, we just really desire these things? Do you know lottery works on that? Lottery is built on the lust of the eyes. It's built on covetousness, which is why no Christian should ever play the lottery. Thou shalt not covet. Where does the money come from in the lottery? Where does the money come from? All those other people. So if I play the lottery, I'm saying to myself, I want your money and your money and your money and your money. In fact, I want the money of everyone in this country. You're not just coveting your neighbor. You're coveting every single person in the country. So the lottery is not just one act of covetousness. It's multiplied thousands and millions. The lust of the eyes. What about this last one? What what does it say in verse 16? What's the third category? The pride of life. Different translations have different things because it's a difficult word to translate. The boastfulness of life. Some translations say the boastfulness of life's possessions. Because that little phrase there could mean boastfulness and pride. And then the final phrase is the word bios. You know the word bios. It comes from biology. The boastfulness of biology? Look in your Bible in chapter 3, verse 17. Go to chapter 3, verse 17. (coughs) Chapter 3, verse 17. 
But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how does the love of God dwell in him? That word bios is in that verse. Can you find it? Verse 17. Where is the word bios in verse 17? Biology. Life. It's in the world's goods. <clears throat> that, that word... Lloyd, can you read verse 17? Listen to him read verse 17. But if anyone is the world's goods... The world's goods. Do you see that? That's the Greek word bios. Biology. It means the possessions of this life. In the story of the widow woman who gave in all her money, it says she gave in all her bios, all of her life. She cast in everything she owned. That's what it means back in verse 16. The boastfulness of all the things we have on earth. We boast about our things. Why do many men on a Sunday dress in the most beautiful clothes? They want to boast of their position. Years ago, I read a book called Dress for Success. And it said men dress to show off their status. Women dress to show off their bodies. This verse says, don't do it. Guard against that. This boasting in the things that we have. Humble yourself. So what does it mean to love the world? It means to love those things. What is the command? Don't love the world. Well, what do you mean by the world? I mean all the desires that made all those things. I mean the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Or the pride of the possessions that you own. That's what I mean. So, a man who has written books may be bound by the love to be praised. And so he's loving the world. A man who sits underneath a tree and drinks beer all day may be loving the world because he's bound by the lusts of the flesh. A man who every time he walks outside his gate, he notices his neighbor's car. Hey, good morning, neighbor. But inside he's thinking... He's got the 2018. I've got the 2006. He might be bound by the love of the world as well. Well, that's the command. A Christian's heart must never look to this world or any of the things in it. He is in a great danger if he loves the world. Now, if I give you a command, but I don't give you any consequences... All I'm doing is just giving you good advice. If I say to you, hey, don't do that, but I don't give any consequences, you can take it or leave it. But if I say don't kill because we will take you by the police, we will put you in a court, we will list all the evidence, and when we find all the evidence against you, we will put you to death. Now that might stop some people from killing. I might think twice, here I am in my anger, and I, I might lift up my hand against my brother, but then if I knew to myself, if I knew in my heart, they're going to catch me, they're going to gather all the evidence, 
and they're going to end my life. They're going to do to me exactly what I did to him. Wow. John's going to do that right here. He's going to give us two consequences, two reasons. It starts in verse 16. What's the first word of verse 16? For or because. Because. Verse 16. Because everything in the world, now go to the end of the verse, is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's the first reason. Everything in the world is not from the Father. Look at the very last part of verse 15. Verse 15. The love of the Father is not in him. The world and all of its things do not come from God. Now what a simple lesson this is. Friends, if someone here goes to hell, it's not because the lesson was too difficult. It was because your heart didn't want to obey. This is so obvious. Sin doesn't come from God. We know this, but we need to be told because we are so deceptive. We even lie to ourselves. We are addicted to lying. And we'll lie right to ourselves. Here we are loving the world and we'll pretend that we're good people. And so John warns us, I want to tell you these things, they're not from God. It's not from God's love. If we don't obey this command, the love of the Father is not in us. The love of the Father is love that comes from God. First John 4.19 says, we love God because he loves us. Why is it that we love God? He loved us first. So his love creates the love in us. And he says, if you love the world, you don't have God's love in you. Why should you run from the world? Because if you don't run from the world, God's love is not in you. When we say God's love, what do we mean? Theologians have grappled with this passage. They say, does this mean the way we love God? Or does this mean the way God loves us? Some commentators take each side. My answer is that it's both. Because no one loves God unless God first loves them. And no one rejoices in God's love for him unless he loves God. It's a two-way street. To love God is impossible unless God loves you first. And you don't truly love God unless you rejoice in his love for you. So does, when it says in verse 15, the love of God is not in him, what does it mean? It means... If you love the world, you're not a Christian. If you love the world, then you don't love what God loves. Three things that God loves, what are they? What are the three things that God loves? He loves his son. He loves his laws. He loves his people. If I am a Christian, if I don't love the world, then I will love who? Jesus Christ, the Bible, and God's people. We already saw that in chapter 2, verse 9, 10, and 11. If I'm a Christian, I will love God's people. If I'm a Christian, I will love the Lord Jesus. If I'm a Christian, I will love his laws. 1 John 5, verse 3. His commandments are not difficult. They're not burdensome. They're not grievous. They don't overwhelm us. 
If you're a Christian, you look at the laws of the Bible and say, yes, yes. You don't look at the Bible and say, oh, that's a sure sign that you're not born again. If you look at the commands of the Bible and your heart says, ah, well, the first thing, the first reason is this. Do not love the world. Why? Because if you love the world, then what? God's love is not in you. That's the first problem. The second problem is in verse 17. What is it? Why why must we not love the world? Verse 17. The world passes away. Stop. Reason number two. The world is not permanent. Don't love the world because it's passing. We laugh at babies who would rather take a sweet rather than a thousand rand. We laugh at babies who don't understand the value of things. If I offer my child a 10 cent coin or a 5 cent coin, My little boy Cameron will take the five cent every time because the five cent is big and the ten cent is small. Right? If I offer my child a five rand, Cameron, a five rand or a hundred rand, he takes the five rand. He wants the heavy coin. This is just paper. I can get paper anywhere. In January, we're starting a class on Christian economics. I think you'll be fascinated to see where, what money really is if you've never taken a good class on economics. The world passes away. It, 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 it's going to end. Would you rather take a thousand rand today or a million rand at the end of the month? I'll give you a thousand right now or a million at the end of the month. Well, all of us would take the million at the end of the month, but God offers us an inheritance that never ends. An inheritance that will not pass away. And all you have to do is give up the thousand rand for a few brief days on this earth. And what do we say? Hmm, that's a tough one. Wow, these are difficult questions. Man, this test is hard. No, it's not. This is not difficult. This is very easy. It's like you would look at a child and say, I'll give you ten rand today. Or I'll give you a million rand in 30 days. Give me the 10 rand. Oh, he's just a baby. How much are, what, what are we then when we do the same thing? That's what his argument is here. What if I said, I'll give you, I'll give you 50 rand today. Or I'll give you ownership of all the gold mines and diamond mines and platinum mines in South Africa and Zimbabwe in Malawi and Mozambique. All you have to do is wait to the end of the month. See, that's what God is giving us. He says, you get Christ, you get eternity, but you need to deny these few things right here. And Moses got it right. He said, I would rather suffer with the children of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a few short days. He's got it right. And we've got to see that exact same thing. The permanent is more valuable. Think about a church building built with huge cut stones. 
versus a church building built out of corrugated iron? What message is sent by both of them? The message of the cut stone says this is meant to last. The permanent things are what we want. God calls himself a rock five times in Psalm 18. Our God is a rock. Our God is a rock. Our God is a rock. He's permanent. Isaiah speaks of the mountain of the Lord because mountains are permanent. You can't just go and move that mountain and the Supensburg mountain ridge. You can't. You can't just move the Drakensberg mountain ridge. You can't just move Christmas Pass in Mutare in Zimbabwe. These things can't be moved. God is like that. There's nothing trendy about the true religion. True Christianity is not a fad. One of the reasons we make the decisions we do in our worship and in our Christianity is that God is not a fad. He's not a trend who comes and goes and passes. True Christianity is where we worship a God who calls himself what? The Ancient of Days. He calls himself a father, not a buddy. We are always trying, here's a quote from a guy named Alan Tate. We are always trying to begin each day as if there were no yesterday or tomorrow. We're always trying to begin each day forgetting about the past. Just give me something for today. Passing. But heaven is the permanent place, not this earth. And if we want to live in God's home, then we cannot give ourselves to the world that only lasts for a few moments. Here's the worst part. Listen to me here carefully. If we give ourselves to something that passes away, if you give yourself to the world that will simply pass away, you will receive as payment a permanent place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a permanent home that comes to people who love passing things. Let us run in fear of a love for the world, worldliness. Let us love the Son of God and the laws of God and the people of God because everything else is passing. Well, let me close with some counsel. Maybe you find your heart being pulled toward the world, money and things and possessions and pride. How can you escape from the love for the world? Let me just give you a few pieces of advice. How can you tell if you love the world? Well, let me ask, do you feel your heart pulled after the world? Does your heart go strongly after a new house, a large car, more comfort? Do you find when you do a house project at home that as soon as the project is done, your first response is, oh, but I wish I could do, I wish I had. Is your heart commonly pulled after a bigger salary or more gadgets? Let me ask you, what can make you angry? That's a good indicator of what you love. What makes you angry? Why is worldliness so dangerous? Because it's a sin that does not seem like a sin. It puts us to sleep so that we go to hell quietly. What can I do if I love the world? Seven steps. Here's seven things you can do. Do you find yourself loving the world today? Seven things you can do. First of all, repent. 
see it as a sin. Most people don't even see it as a sin. They think, oh, well, I guess I want this car. I want this house. I want that money. But they don't even see it as a sin when they play the lottery. First thing to do is see it as a sin and repent of it. Second thing, think how Christ did not love the world. Think of Jesus. Did he love the world? In Matthew 8, he did not have a home. He did not even have a house. He did not control his own money. Some kind women who had money came along and provided for his food. He did not have a house or a place to lay his head. So think of how Christ did not love the world. Imagine the life he lived. Number three, ponder the consequences of loving the world. Ponder, ponder, wonder, think. Think about what will happen to you if you love the world. Not only will you go to hell, you will lead your children that way. Think about what will happen if you love the world. Number four, pray to God. Ask God to break the chains of worldliness. If you find yourself loving the world, ask God, free me from this love. Number five, memorize a verse this week about heaven. Memorize a verse about heaven. Try this one. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Memorize a verse about heaven. Number six, consider a TV and a media fast. Consider a fast from TV, DVDs, things on the internet, Facebook. Consider fasting from those things that might pull you to this world. Number seven, find a good book and read. Today I'm opening the library, the loaning library at Grace Bible Church. I've put on this table about 20 books. They are all excellent. They cover many different topics. They all focus on the most important things. Find a good book and read one. You can take one of those books for one month. You write your name on the paper on the back. At the end of the month, you bring it back. Find a good book. Get a good book. Even if you just read a few pages, if you just read 20 pages, that's 20 more pages than you had read before, right? It'll help you to love the things that will last. May God give us grace today so that we will not love the world. Let's close our eyes.